Father, for this good morning, we thank you for the testimonies that we have of faithful saints like John Bunyan that have gone before us, that have lived a life and been able to write books that encourage us. Lord, we, we recognize that it's, it's really your word that has the authority and power in our life, and we want to take encouragement from that first. Uh, but also, Lord, we, we want to be encouraged by this, in some ways, an elder to us as he speaks to us about how the scriptures can be applied. So we pray you'd help us and open our hearts and minds to your word and to this lesson. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're on our way to the, the, the gate. We left you last time, several weeks ago, with a man running through a field. The town had come out to, to uh, make ridicule him or to call him back. This is the town that he grew up in, the town he called the City of Destruction. And there, his family himself, they come out, they're pleading with him. And we talked a little bit about how he pleaded with his wife and his children to come, and they just thought he was out of his mind. But he is um, in a, becomes in a state of panic. You could say that he's, he talks about him being frozen in place. I don't know if you've ever been that scared. Just frozen, stiff. He's fearful of what lies in the city. He's got to go somewhere. And he cries out, you know, what must I do to be saved? And at that time, God sends a pastor whose name is Evangelist. Right. And we talked about Evangelist represents as a faithful pastor. And it was also true of Bunyan's life. And he, uh, he's crying out, what must I do to be saved? Evangelist comes to help him. And he gives him a parchment. And the parchment doesn't give him any relief. He doesn't say, calm down, it's going to be okay. He's, he's like, no, you are in a bad place. What are you afraid of? And he says, I'm afraid that, one, that I'm going to die, and that, two, when I die, my sins will take my soul to hell. He gives him no relief from that, nor should we, right? This is the reality. And instead, he says, yes, he hands him a paper that says, parchment that says, fly, Flee, you might say, from the wrath that is to come. And he says, yes, but where do I go? I'm frozen. I'm, I'm fearful. I know I need to run, but where do I run to? And he, he mentions that, can you see yon wicked gate? Not wicked, evil, but wicked, meaning small. He says, no, I can't see it. Well, can you see the light that's above it? He says, yes, I see the light. He said, then run to the light. And this is a reference to Psalm 119, where it says, Your lamp is, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So he sees that and he runs, he starts running to it. And we left you last time. Two men are sent after him. Two men. All the, all the way through here, you'll get characters' names, and those character names mean something for those who are familiar with the book. The two men that are sent after him are named Obstinate and Pliable. And in some ways, they are very different people at the same time they're both worldly characters uh, neighbors of uh, Christian is the man's name so they're sent to get him back they represent worldly reactions and, and uh, rejections of the gospel they come to him and tell him try to convince him to come back he will not in fact he's trying to tell them why he's running and why he's fleeing um, there is death behind him there is hope ahead uh, all I can do is run, come with me. And he attempts to show them in the book, his little black book. Now, at this point, Christian has 
two important things to remember all the time. He has his little black book, which is the Bible, and he's got this great burden on his back, which is the weight of his sin that really comes because he's been reading the little black book, and he's recognizing his violation of God's law, and he's feeling the weight of his sin. So obstinate comes first in the picture, and he's a stubborn man, as his name would represent. He's inflexible, and he's hostile to the gospel. Uh, He rejects the Bible when it's offered to him, and he has no desire to understand it. I don't know if you've presented the gospel to someone who immediately said, I'm not interested in that. have no interest in that at all. This would be much like this man. Uh, He might even be looked at as an atheistic Uh, outlook if you've dealt with any of those. Um, He doesn't want to leave his friends, obstinate says. Why would I leave my friends and all my comforts behind? And I immediately want to know, are you going to come with us or not? That's That's his decree. And Christian says, no, I put my hand to the plow. I'm not turning back. And he says, then we're done. And he looks at his friend Pliable and says, come on, Pliable, we're going back. And Pliable goes, wait a minute. I'm still listening to what's going on here. I'm not ready to go back yet. So obstinate uh, turns and quickly he heads back to the city of destruction. You think the name of the city would mean something then, right? Where am I going back to? I don't know. Um, I'd like to interject here if we could just turn to Matthew chapter 13. It's, it, we want to kind of infuse where Bunyan gets some of his ideas. And you'll know this parable of the sower. Matthew 13, verses 3 through 9. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. Verse 4. And as he sowed, there's four different people, types of people. Some seed fell on beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Two, the second kind of others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil and immediately sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, the third type. Others fell upon the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now you'll find that Christ goes on, and this is one of the things that's very confusing to the disciples. So, like, what is that all about? He actually explains that, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But throughout Pilgrim's Progress, these four categories of people will continue to show up. You'll see in one of these four categories, you will find the people that he meets. Obstinate would fall probably in the first. Immediately, he's thrown out, and I think in Zip Mark, it talks about the birds come and take it away. It's a picture of Satan just taking away the gospel from him so he doesn't understand or has a desire for it. So... Obstinate is gone, and that leaves pliable. So pliable would be the opposite in personality of of obstinate. I I almost have this picture of Laurel and Hardy. This is probably too old for you guys to know. Just these two different personalities, but but both kind of in a worldly mindset. Uh, Pliable believes anything, and he's open to everything. In a sense, he is open-minded, and very much in Proverbs you see this uh, called the simple-minded man, who lets anything into his mind. Uh, being open-minded is not a good thing. The world would tell you that's a good thing. It's a bad thing. You need to 
uh, siphon everything through the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit's help, with discernment. So Pliable's open-minded. He's open to hearing all about what Christian would have him tell you. I wanted to read uh, an excerpt. Uh, we mentioned last time there were several versions of Pilgrim's Progress. We, a lot of folks like this Cheryl Ford version because it's pretty close to the uh, original and it, uh, you have to update the language being so many centuries ago and we like, many people like the way she does that. But listen to just this, kind of this description as he explains to Pliable what he's going to. He says, there are crowns of glory to be given us and garments that will make us shine like the sun. All his promises are true because the giver of the law never lies. There will be no more sorrow or crying. Uh, Pliable wants to know who's going to be with us. And he said, there's going to be cherubim and all the saints that have gone before will be welcomed. Our sins will be no more. Everyone there will be completely made well and clothed with immortality. Pliable could hardly contain himself. He says, my heart is seized with ecstasy at hearing all these things. Um, how can we come to share in them? He says, the Lord, the ruler of that country, has given the answer in this book. It says that if we are truly willing to receive it, he will freely give it to us. Well, says Pliable, my good friend, let's quicken our pace. Like, hurry up, let's go. <laughs> so Pliable's on board. This sounds like the greatest thing. The only problem is, Christian has this great burden. He says, okay, but I'm trying to keep up with you, but I have this burden. Pliable doesn't have a burden. He's light as a feather. Like, something's quite not right here, right? You would think that this would be something to think about, but in, uh, this, in Christian's unsaved state, he's not quite got the discernment level that he needs. So they're excited, they're moving forward, and they fall into sort of a sloth, a pit, a mire, you might say, and gosh, I don't know how to pronounce this, the slough of despond. Some call it the slough of despond. Uh, there's different ways to say it, but it is just a muddy pot uh, of slime that they just fall into. It's described as um, the conviction of sin and what drains from it. All that fear and hopelessness, it, it all drains. So when the Holy Spirit comes and gives you a conviction of sin and that that feeling and that hopeless feeling, uh, this is kind of a picture of that. It kind of drains into this swamp area, and they, both of them, have fallen into it. Um, neither of them gets out very easily, but the one with the pack can barely get his knees up, right? He's really struggling. Pliable, on the other hand, gets upset. He's saying, what happened to all the great promises you were telling me about? This is going to be a great thing, and here we are stuck in the slime. And immediately he, he decides, I'm done. And he gets out much easier than Christian does. And he gets out on the side that he came in on. And off he goes in his mire and his shame back to the city of destruction. So there he goes. You might see, it might go back to Matthew 13. Stay in Matthew, by the way. Uh, Will you hear Christ explaining to him in verse 19? I think this may help us understand a little bit. Verse 19 might describe uh, obstinate when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. Verse 20, but the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
happy about that. But he has no firm root in himself. It's only temporary. And when afflictions or persecutions arise because of the word, immediately he falls away. So there goes pliable. Just a reminder of how we should present the gospel. It's full of good news, amen? But it's not just good news, is it? It's also filled with counting the cost. There is a bad news, right? The bad news reminds us of our sin and guilt and what we justly deserve. And the good news is the hope of heaven. And we need both. Pliable finds out. Well, somebody helps. Christian can't get out of the mire. He's stuck there. And God sends a man named, the next character you heard is named Help. He's just another believer who happens to, to see he's aware of the area. He knows about this uh, bog. He comes and he reaches out his hand to Christian and pulls him up. And this represents really anyone, you or anyone else, that sees a brother in distress and goes to help and lifts them up. Maybe you've been lifted up. If you haven't, you'll be there. And maybe you're the lifter of someone else. This is body work. This is what we do for one another. You assume this role of being help. Now, in some of the versions, in the original versions, Bunyan actually shows up here. The author shows up. Christian actually makes a, makes a run back towards the, the light. He's running, and Bunyan himself comes up, and he's interviewing help. Why is this bog here? Why, why haven't we fixed this? He explains that, well, we have tried to put lots of concrete or whatever in here and fill it up, but there's just so much despondency coming in that it just keeps filling up. So it's just still there, but we've, we've got plans to make it better. There is, you find out later, a path to get through it. You can walk on some stones and not fall in the bog. And this is important because I think Bunyan is telling us not everybody's Christian experience and testimony is that they were such a deep despondency. That is not everybody's story. It, we all have some degree of, of that. And some it affects in a deeper way than others. So now we come to number two in your handout, a very famous fellow that people know well, and this is Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Not a good name to have, Mr. Worldly Wise Man. He's a well-known character. He represents and he promotes the world's values, thoughts, and desires, and you find out he's very religious. So Christian's on his way, got the muck on him. He's tired of that. He's, he's headed towards the light, and this man sees him and seeks to uh, interfere, you might say, or, or talk to him about it. He, he's presented as being dressed well in many of the versions, and he claims to be wiser and older and more knowledgeable than this, this poor young Christian. How could he know as much as I know? And it kind of resonates with uh, the warnings we have in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, where it talks about, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, an empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So the world's always got different ideas about how we should live and what salvation looks like. So his job first, it seems really wise, man. he begins to tear down, almost sounds like the university. Oops, I say that, but it's true. Starts to tear down the things that Christian believes in. He derides the book, that little black book. It's caused lots of people problems. Many people get these burdens on their back. That book 
Uh, you shouldn't be trusting it. He condemns and curses evangelists, why evangelists would send him on this dangerous journey that's sure to be full with peril and probably take your life. So he, he begins by tearing down what Christian thinks is, he's been told. Then he, then he begins to redirect him. He's like, I've got a better plan for you. And he, he talks about a man called Mr. Legality. This is the law. This is like thinking of um, maybe like Moses or I don't want to put Moses there. It's just a person who's into the law. The law is what he knows. Mr. Legality. He tells about Mr. Legality. He lives in the city of morality. He's skilled, he tells Christian. He's the kind of guy, he's skilled in taking burdens off. So here's Christian hunkered down with this great burden, making hard to make these steps. And he's starting to listen to this advice and thinking, well, maybe you're right. And you say he can take my burden off like that? Oh, very simple. The guy knows what he's doing. And so he, he thinks, well, let's, let's give that a try. And so he, Christian goes off the path and starts heading towards Mr. Legality's house. Now, he's told, think about temptations. He's told it's not very far away. It's going to be an easy, easy answer for you. Just head this way. You'll see his hill up, there on, up the hill and on the right. But as he starts to go to his house, this easy path starts to get harder and harder and more and more difficult. Uh, the, the burden on his back starts to get heavier. And that, that gentle incline he saw is beginning to feel steeper. The farther he goes, his weight's getting heavier and the road is getting steeper. And how close is this house again? And so he's, he's starting to struggle here, and he starts going up this pass, and the mountain is starting to grow higher above him, and it looks like it's going to fall over him. And think of Mount Sinai when the word came to Moses, right? There's lightning flashing around, and he is in panic. And if you remember, I opened today talking about how he was frozen in place. He's frozen in place again. He cannot move. If I go forward, things are going to fall on me. I can't go back because of the lightning. I'm just stuck here. And I'm thinking about if I've ever been in that sort of situation. I can't remember being that panicked before. But I will be happy to share you about a friend of mine. <laughs> Not you. A friend of mine named Mark's my high school friend, and he was hiking in Big Bend. And uh, he, he came, he was by himself, by the way, and he came across a black bear. Do they have black bears there, I guess? I don't know. Well, you would know. And he sees this big black bear, and he comes around a corner, and he just, he tells me he freezes, like, hmm, and it's standing right at him. He gives him a gruff, he just, bear gruff or whatever, and he just can't move. He couldn't move up the tree, he couldn't move down the trail, he was just frozen. A little couple of cubs fall behind her, and then she slowly meanders away. And I said, I bet that was scary. He goes, no, I still couldn't move. <laughs> I was just frozen there, and I won't tell you about his shorts. That would be inappropriate. <laughs> he was frozen. <laughs> this is where he is again. So guess who comes to the aid? Who is it who saves him again? You know? Evangelist comes again. He's not coming with a smile. He's coming with a very stern face, what have you done? He's, uh, he's not one to feel touchy-feely. He's more concerned about the state of this young person that's seeking after Christ.
Christ. Um, this is a picture in, in many ways of Bunyan's own life. He sought for a while, if you remember from the first session, if you know about his testimony, he went through a period of time where he thought after he, he was shamed publicly about his lifestyle, he, he started to clean himself up. He started to read his Bible. He started going to church. He started doing all these things. And he said people would come to him and say, boy, whatever you're doing is looking like you're getting your life together. But he knew inwardly he was lost and he was despairing. And he was uh, in, in a type of depression and, and the doldrums and, and very fearful. I mentioned to you before that he would go to the church during this time and he'd see the bells up and he was afraid one of them was going to fall and kill him. It was that kind of fear that would follow him. And then he hears these couple of these ladies, these young ladies talking about their Bible study and this is the joy and the happiness that's in their heart. And he's thinking, what do I not have that they have? And through, those, through that, that event, he, he meets a pastor, much like evangelist, who starts to bring him into the truth so that he understands what the gospel really means. So we see that here. But as far as uh, Mr. Legality, uh, I want to read Galatians 3.10 says, For as many are the works of the law under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. And you start thinking about this effort to reform ourselves, and maybe you have one law looking at you and say, Well, maybe I can do the one law. Then you realize there's two laws. Okay, well, let me get two laws to do. And then you realize there's hundreds of laws, and you think, there is no way that I'm going to obey all these laws. I'm going to fail at some point. And any one that you fail in is the judgment. You have, you have ceased to qualify the holiness and the righteousness that God requires. And so he sent who? He sent Christ, right? We celebrate Christmas, the incarnation. We have a man, God in flesh, who comes and lives perfectly, fulfilling all of the law, and that gets credited to me? So Bunyan doesn't know this yet. Christian doesn't understand this yet either, but he's getting there. So uh, Wayne Mack in Christian Life Issues, I mentioned this book. It's a very helpful resource as a guide to understanding some of the, the themes. He wants to make, uh, he, he makes an important point here, reminding us, be careful who you get your counsel from. Uh, he had Mr. Worldly Wise Man that speaks to us every day on the car and on the news, and then you have the Word of God, and we need to continue to listen to other brothers and sisters and the Word of God to correct the way we think about things. And I just want to remind you, Psalms 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of the sinner, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And what he's reminding us is don't listen to people. Don't have good friends that are giving you bad advice. Don't go with them. Don't hang out with them. Unless you're going to evangelize them and then do that with, with wisdom. And I had a note here on your handout uh, for you to think about who is that person that's been just a good, wise counselor in your life. Just an encouragement after Thanksgiving. Maybe you want to write that person's name down and thank the Lord that they were sent to give you encouragement and thank them. Send them a note. Call them. Just remind them how important they've been in their life. So Evangelist comes. He rescues him. He corrects him with his stern face, and he says, Your sin is not an easy thing. This is a serious thing, what you've done. You've, you've done three things. He lists three things. 
in your handouts three things that uh, you've done wrong. Number one, you were persuaded to leave the right way. You stepped off the path. You know, he's, he's laying it out to him. When you did that, you rejected the cross. When we sin and we step away from what God has called us to do, we are, in a sense, walking away from the promise of the cross to be satisfied by something else. And number three, you've turned, you've turned to another way that leads to death. So these are the three things. And he says, you must learn to abhor. Get that, learn to abhor all these things. Okay, Christian, we need to learn to abhor all these things. This is much of the same pattern we see in our daily life, right? When temptation comes, when sin comes, we are persuaded to leave the right way. And in that way, we rejected the cross, and we, for a season, this is a, a picture of idolatry that our hearts are always producing. You know this, right? Your heart's always producing idols to follow. And, and then we go this way until the Lord withdraws back, and, and it leads to death. And so we see this constant pattern that uh, Bunyan wants us to, to remember. Guess what? We've arrived at the wicked gate, right? And it's not the evil gate. It's not the wicked gate. Uh, if you've heard of it, I, I found a picture that helps describe that. It's in your, in your handout there. I thought this was very helpful. Uh, I just really literally typed in in the computer, show me a, a wicket gate from the 17th century, and this is what came up. So you have this, the main gate. If you can see in the picture, this is where the carriages would come through, the large parties would come through, and... Uh, once that happened, those gates were heavy and they would close down and so the people would feel secure within those gates. But notice the little door there to your left. That little door, that was called the wicket gate. Only maybe the size of one person, maybe a person and a child could go one, through one at a time. Maybe you were late for the party and you missed the, 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 the parade going in. Well, you would have to knock on the door and see if you were cleared to come in, and you would be cleared one by one. Yes, you're okay, you're okay, you can come. Um, this, is, this is the idea that Bunyan is referring to uh, in Matthew chapter 7. Now, we're going to turn there. Chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I think you'll know this. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. Now listen to how he ends this. This is one of the most alarming statements that you will read in the scriptures, and there are few who find it, few that find it sobering thought. I don't know if you have friends that you talk about the gospel. Everyone thinks they've made it. Everyone has a plan in their mind that they've, they've made it. But in reality, the, the fact is that very few make it. And I hope that resonates with me and with you as we read from the scriptures that we need to make sure that our hope is only on what Christ has done for us in the cross. Um, this is the picture of the wicked gate that he's running to. Written upon the entry gate is this slogan. It says, knock, and it will be opened to you. And 
the full verses in Matthew chapter 7, verses, excuse me, 7 and 8. I'll just read the whole part. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened to him. So here's the promise that a Christian was given is to go and knock, and there you will be told what to do. So it, it's interesting. After, after um, Evangelist straightens him out with this serious discourse, he, it, he makes a beeline for the light. And it says he won't listen to anything. If anyone comes, he's not going to talk to them. There's nothing that's going to get in his way of, of searching for the, the light and finding the wicked gate. And he does arrive. And he knocks. And he knocks again. No one comes immediately. But he doesn't give up. He, he knocks. And the next character you, you, you find in the book is a man called Goodwill. Goodwill is the keeper of the wicked gate. And I, I think there's somewhat of a character development here because it's not real clear from part one. But in part two, you know, there's a second part of Pilgrim's Progress. It's uh, the story of Christiana. And it was written some six years after the first book. I think I mentioned that others were, were trying to come up with other stories about Christiana. The, book, the, book, the first book was so popular that Bunyan had to hurry up and get, start working on part two. Uh, so he could get the story straight. But in the second book, you learn that the keeper of the wicked gate is, is actually Christ. And he makes that very clearly. So I think the character position starts to build up in, in uh, Bunyan's mind as he thinks about what his role here is. It's clear um, that this is him. He, he talks about in part two that salvation was obtained by this gatekeeper himself by two ways. That the righteousness is given to cover you. And he spilt his blood to cover your transgressions. Which to me reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So he takes away our sin, but he gives us something. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So those two parts of the gospel. He takes away our sin, but he gives us something. He, gives, he credits to us that perfect life lived. And this is, this is kind of the idea... You see here with uh, goodwill. It's interesting that he knocks on the door. He opens up. He explains to them, this is who I am. In fact, I wanted just to read that, that part to you. Because I think it's interesting. Yeah. A solemn looking person comes to the gate. And he says, who are you? And where did you come from? What do you want? He says, here is a poor burden sinner. I come from the city of destruction. And I'm going to Mount Zion that I might be delivered from the wrath to come. Sir, since I have been informed that through this gate is the way there, I would like to know if you're willing to let me in. He says, I am willing with all my heart. Goodwill quickly responds and he opens the gate. And as he does, he grabs him and pulls him in. So this is a, a little bit of Bunyan's Calvinism coming through. Uh, he, he, wants, he, he asks him, well, why did you just do that? Well, we have an enemy, a captain of the guard. His name is Beelzebub. He, he's trying to shoot arrows and kill people who try to make it to this gate. In other words, your enemy is already after you, and you haven't even started yet. <laughs> it's trying to prevent you from coming in. 
But you see uh, Bunyan's vision of, of the sovereignty of God in, in sending the black book and, and really, in a sense, calling Christian all along the path. And when it's time to come in, he doesn't casually walk in. He's dragged in at that point, and it's for his own good. So uh, Bunyan develops more of his theology and obviously several of his 60-some books about those kind of uh, parts. But So he speaks to uh, the, the gatekeeper, the Goodwill, and Goodwill tells him two, two directions. One, stay on the path. There is only one path. Right? Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to the Father, I should say, right? Stay on the path. It's straight and it's narrow, and there is only one. And, he, and Christian asks, but are there, are there other paths? He says, yes, there's many other wide and winding paths, but this one is narrow and it's always straight. In other words, if you keep your wits about you, you're not going to get lost. You're thinking clearly. And the second thing is he wants him to go to the house of the interpreter. Now, I want you to remember something here. He knocked on the door. In a sense, he's come to meet Christ. He's been saved. What does he still have on his back? Still has his burden on his back. Why does he still have a burden on his back? Wasn't that supposed to fall off? Hmm. This has actually been a, a topic of long discussion since the Pilgrim's Progress came out. This is one of those conversations like, why is his backpack still on there? And did... Did Bunyan intend that? And what did he really mean? Because he hasn't really come to the cross yet. That's coming. And you find in later of Bunyan's writings about this that, yes, he does see that this is the point of salvation. But his story, and many of, of your stories, I think, and mine, is that sometimes that burden just doesn't fall off yet. You still feel this, this weight of sin that you carry around with you. And you, in your back of your mind, sometimes these whispers come back. Gosh, I did a lot of things. Does the cross cover me too? This is what Bunyan wants us to know, that this is, this is not a unique experience to him. Many of us wrestle with that a bit. He tells him he wants him to go to the house of the interpreter. So the next, number four here, he goes to this house, the house of the interpreter, and he learns some seven lessons. These are all lessons that a young believer needs to know. So... You know, I don't know if you, when you were saved, if you immediately were put into training. I know I was not. It's not how we did things in the church I grew up in. We just kind of figured you were done. You were saved and good job. Uh, but, but there's a lot of things that need to be, you need to understand and, and warnings and admonitions you need to know about. And in the house of the interpreter, you have these seven lessons. So he's told to go there. And he goes, he knocks on that door too. And the man doesn't come immediately. Is everybody sleeping? I don't know. He comes, and he comes, and he asks, he tells him who he is, and he said, yes, come. I want to show you some very important things. And the first thing he tells him, he shows them a picture, a picture of a, of a serious-looking man. Many people uh, say this would be a, a picture of a very, I mean, a very um, sort of like evangelist. It's a pastor picture of a man, he's got the word of God in, uh, in, his, in his breast, he's holding it, and he's looking up to heaven, and he has a serious look on his face as if he's imploring men to come to salvation. He's very concerned about the people that he's in charge with. He has a degree of authority, and he, he needs to, you to understand and us to understand that he has a degree of authority over you, 
and yet he's not deity, he's not God, he's just a man, but he's in charge of watching after you. This is a real picture of what we need to know when you first come to Christ, that you are put into a church, and by God, we hope, by God's mercy, you have someone over you, spiritually, that looks out for you. We have elders here that watch over our, our souls. We have shepherds that watch over us. And we really need to actually submit ourselves under them and ask them for help and for guidance and, and other mature believers. But this is really the role of a pastor. Now, this is something I wish I knew early on as a believer, that I need to be under, involved in a church, growing, and that, and that there's people that I need to, to listen to and take advice from. He next takes them to the next room. It's a very dusty room. Uh, you walk in, there, there's just dirt all over the place. And at, at the house, the interpreter tells a man to, hey, clean up this room. There's dust everywhere. And he starts sweeping this dust up and trying to clean it up. And it fills the room. And Christian himself starts choking. Like, what are we doing here? This is not working very well. And then he calls, he calls a, a young lady to come in, and she's sprinkling water over all the dust, and it all starts to settle out, and then it starts to get cleaned out very easily. And he explains to him, oh, well, Christian's asking, what is this about? And he says he wants to explain, this is what the law and the gospel does in a sinful heart. So the room kind of represents our hearts full of corruption and sin that we bring into uh, our lives, and, and when, the, when the law comes, it does a good thing. It shows us what is right and wrong, but at the same time, it's also choking us at the same time. Remember all the fingers, the laws that are pointing at us, that are condemning us? Those are really good things. We need to know when we've transgressed the law, but at the same time, it's choking us with a degree of, of it, doesn't, it doesn't bring us any relief. It just shows us the depth of our sin. And that it's the gospel. The lady comes in and she's it's representing what the gospel does to a sinful heart. It makes it cleanable. So cleanable that it's ready for the king to come in. Again, th these are some of the basic things a young believer needs to know. When he reads his Bible and he's convicted about his sin, even as a believer, we need to remember that's a good thing. But then comes the gospel. We take all of our sin to him and we are cleansed. He next goes to a room with two little children in it. One is named Passion, and the other's name is Patience. These are two young children, and they're sitting in two chairs. Their uh, person in charge of them is telling them that there's a great reward for you, but you're going to have to wait till next year. Now, one of them, whose name is Passion, doesn't like that idea of waiting very well. It's sort of like Christmas is coming. If you tell your kids Christmas, we're going to do that next year. Think that's going to go real well. <laughs> so uh, patience represents really an unbeliever who wants the world's treasures now, the the wealth, uh, the security, maybe even popularity and fame. He wants it right now, and and it happens. As the caregiver comes in, he dumps this treasure in front of passion's uh, lap, and he's just happy. He kind of sticks his tongue out, in a sense, at his friend, Patience, and goes, see? And he's just jumping in all the wealth that he has, but he finds that it's quickly spent. And Passion is left in rags. He has nothing left. 
Now, on the other hand, it talks about patience waiting, and he has given treasure that is eternal. It doesn't fade away, and it's reserved. And again, it's a picture for the young believer to recognize the dangers of the world, the lures of the world on our heart, and where is the treasures of your heart really set. If you're like me, every once in a while I have to reset my heart because something is starting to become more and more valuable than what is offered to me in the gospel. So we need to be like patience. That's the, the third lesson. Now the fourth lesson, he walks into the next room and the interpreter takes him to a room where there's a, a nice fire in the wall like a hearth and it's burning brightly and warmly. Um, it's comforting and it represents this fervency of, that the gospel places in the heart of a believer. I, I don't know, we used to call it when I was growing up, being on fire for the Lord. That's, that's the term we used. I don't know if we still use that word or not, but, you know, just having that sense of, I'm, I'm going to go find some sinner and convert them, and, you know, and you're just excited about it, and, you know, it's just that, that glowing perseverance, you might say, of in a believer's life, what the Holy Spirit does, these new desires that grow, and it's just fire. But what's happening in the picture and there's another man there who's taking these buckets of water and flowing them at the fire to squelch it out. And he's putting lots of water on it. And you think, oh no, you're putting all the fire out. But for some reason, every time he throws the water on it, the fire gets larger. <laughs> What's going on with that? And the interpreter shows Christian that on the other side of the wall, look over here, there's a man pumping oil into the fire. And the guy's thinking it's making it worse, and it's actually making the fire larger, and there's an endless supply of oil. He says, this is, this is the work of our enemy. This is the work of Satan. It's trying to squelch the, the excitement and the fervor that we have about the gospel, and squelch it out on the backside is a picture of what Christ does for us, infusing in us, with his spirit and his word, this continuing desire to follow after him. He, he wants the young believer to realize that we are in really a competing forces to maintain this desire for the Lord. And in, a, in many ways, it's a picture of uh, temptation. It's a picture of persecution. And it's an odd thing that in the midst of uh, a fire, in the midst of trouble where somebody's trying to put the fire out, that's maybe you're being persecuted or some, somebody's dis discouraging you in the gospel in some way. But at the same time, when you go through that, you look back and you say, I got all the warmer. I got all the more fervent in the midst of that trial. How is that happening? And the reality is, the young believer needs to know, we need to know that in the midst of our trials and persecutions, God is at work behind the wall, keeping the fire burning. In fact, growing us through it. He takes him next to a stately palace, and I need to hurry up here because my time is waning. A palace, he sees this picture of a man, and there's a, a beautiful castle. In many ways, it represents heaven, and there, there's an entranceway to get there, and they're calling you to come, except it's guarded by these men with swords and armor, and to get there, you have to fight through that the armored men and they're asking, does anyone want to sign up and, and, and make it to the castle? And everyone's saying, no, not me. You go. I'm not going to go. They're all afraid of trying to make it through the guard. And one man comes up. He says, put my name down, sir. And he writes his name down. He takes up his, his sword, doesn't delay, and he makes a run at the, at the guards. 
and he is slashing and hacking. Your kids will love this part of the book, by the way. Hacking and slicing and poking and getting bloodied and fighting, and he makes his way through, and you hear them being received, him being received in joy. And the lesson that interpreter wants him to know is that the Christian life is a fight. We need to have courage, and we need to come with swords drawn at times when we have our enemies. So be prepared. If you don't know what's coming yet, Christian, be prepared. There's a fight coming, and later we'll find that's not too far away. The next is from warnings. The next are two warnings. You see a man in an iron cage, and he, he goes to him, and, and he says, what is this man in the iron cage in this room? What is this about? And the interpreter says, well, you ask him. Ask him what, why he's in there. And he asks the man, and he tells the man that I'm here because I have, I started off as a believer in Christ. Everyone around me says I was growing, I was becoming mature. They were all telling me how well I was doing, and I felt so good about it. And then the lures of the world carried me away, and I rejected Christ. I went after the things of this world. He says, there's no hope for me. And Christian says, but tell him, tell him that there is hope. There is hope for you. And the man is like, there is no hope. I've rejected it all. Now, Bunyan gives us no comfort here. He leaves that scene with us as a warning for those who don't realize we must persevere to the end. If we don't persevere to the end, you have no hope of making it to heaven. It's a, it's a, it's a scary thing to think about, but believers need to know that. The believers in Christ will persevere to the end. He will change you in such a way that the fire will keep growing in your heart. He will bring you back. Uh, the last picture is a man with a terrifying dream. This is the last room. He comes to this man with a terrifying dream. He wakes up and he's in chills. He's, he's scared. Uh, and he asks the man, you know, what's happened here? He says, interpreter says, well, well, ask the man. And the guy tells him that I had this dream. And this is the warning. The dream is that Christ came and you were unprepared. Once again, I went after the lusts of the world, the desires of the flesh, and he came, and I was unprepared. He said, many were taken when Christ appeared. I was left behind. He said, not only that, I was left behind, and the man who came on the white horse, I might say, was staring at me, and my sins were clearly open to him. And I ran to flee, and nowhere could I run that he didn't see me and my sin. And he woke up in terror. This is a reality. This will be a reality for many. This is a reality that the young believer needs to have both the encouragement that in the midst of tribulation, Christ is working. He's bringing us to salvation. He's not going to let anything take us out of his hand. On the other hand, there's the warning. Don't leave him. Stay with him. So you have both parts of the gospel there. Ah, five minutes. We've kindly come. He leaves the interpreter's house. And he runs to the cross. And I want to read this part to you. This will be our last part. So remember, he still has what on his back? He still has the burden on his back. Through all this time, he still has this weight of sin. So he leaves the interpreter's house. He sees on each side a wall called salvation. And he ran on ahead on on the, on the path. He ran this way until he came to a place on somewhat higher ground where there stood a cross. 
A little way down from there was an open grave. And I saw in my dream that just as Christian approached the cross, his burden came loose from his shoulders, fell from his back, and began to roll down until it tumbled into an open grave to be seen no more. After this, Christian was glad and light. He exclaimed with a joyful heart, Through his sorrows he has given me rest, and through his death he has given me life. Then he stood still for a while and began to examine and to ponder the cross. For it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross alone had brought him complete deliverance from his burden. So he continued to look and watch until springs of tears welled up in his eyes and came pouring down his cheeks. It's a beautiful way to end the lesson today because I know that many of us have struggled with the weight of sin and can God really accept me? And Bunyan is telling us the remedy of that is take a good look at the cross. What did he actually do for us on the cross? He took our sins away. We need to think about that, and there we'll find relief from the burdens. Uh, there are several sections of Scripture I'd like to refer you to, but um, just, just remember that the cross is our answer, and that there we'll find relief from the burdens that we carry. To next week, we're going to pick up, and we're going to encounter a couple of lions and a beautiful house. This is going to be great. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for just your word and the encouragement that it gives us, these promises that through the trials and tribulations, Lord, you are with us. So many lessons here, Lord. Thank you for the elders that you've placed over us. Thank you that you've given us the church and the one another's here that can encourage us as good counselors and good advice. Lord, we thank you for your word that corrects us. I pray that you would make us careful and give us discernment against the ideas of the world that creep into us and want to grab hold of our heart. And Lord, I pray that we would receive encouragement, Lord, even from this week, as we think about your work on the cross and specifically your incarnation in living the life that we could not live. Pray that you bless our time this morning and for the sermon that is coming, Lord, I pray you prepare our hearts for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.